you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host. Chris Voss. Hi, folks. It's Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. There it is, folks. As soon as the Iron Lady sings it, you know it's official. The Chris Voss Show has launched once again for 15 years, three to four shows a weekday, 15 to 20 shows a week. I can't feel my legs. We bring you the smartest minds, the most brilliant people, although some people are here for the brain bleed. Uh, that's, that should have its own its own OnlyFans channel, if I can make that joke. Uh, but uh, we bring you the smartest minds, the CEOs, the billionaires, the U.S. ambassadors, the uh, people who are the Pulitzer Prize winners, the astronauts, uh, Congress members, governors, all these people who literally, they spent blood, sweat, and tears learning their trade, learning their craft, writing their books, uh, a lifetime sometimes of hours and wages going into it. And they bring you... Uh, to the Chris Voss show, this condensed format, this beautiful uh, super gel. I don't know what you're going to call it, super gel today. Fuck it. Uh, this super gel, super gelatin. It's like a jello, but it's super power jello. <laughs> Can I say on the show without getting sued by jello? Um, and they bring it to you and they disperse it and you leave embodied and overflowing with the Chris Voss show glow, as we like to call it on the Chris Voss show. Uh, you can also get that on the only fans too. Uh, so uh, we have an amazing author on the show and uh, you're joining this elite crowd of people who get to listen to him and others we have. And so in doing so, we ask for one trade-off, one trade-off only. Please refer the show to your family, friends, and relatives. Go to goodreads.com, fortress Chris Voss, linkedin.com, fortress Chris Voss. Subscribe to the big LinkedIn newsletter, the 130,000 group over there. Also go see... Uh, uh, youtube.com for says chris Voss, chris Voss one on the tiktok and chris Voss facebook.com he is the hottest new author to come out with his book uh called be a killer overcoming your everyday goliath by ed norwood he joins us on the show and he's going to be talking to us about all the things that went into it and how you can you too you too me can be a giant killer. Uh, Ed Norwood is the founder of ERN Enterprises and Champions Unleashed and has been recognized as a unique and distinctive authority in transitional leadership and administrative laws that govern the healthcare delivery process. When he was eight years old, uh, 27 of his relatives were massacred by cult leader Jim Jones in the Jones, Jonestown Guana tragedy. Uh, the fame of his family's history shattered his life until he discovered the lessons revealed in his book, Be a Giant Killer, a searing expose of how our history can influence our legacy. He says hundreds of media interviews and lectures worldwide focusing on leadership, development, branding, storytelling, and the lessons of the Jonestown tragedy and healthcare advocacy as well. Multifaceted with the creative ability to inspire his audience, he combines his business influence with expertise, with a passion for ministry to help people flow in their dreams and transform the next generation. Welcome to show, Ed. How are you? Hey, Chris. I'm fine. I'm great. It's raining here in California. Uh, I, I know that you're not experiencing rain, 
but my 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 eyes are tearing up because you are so hilarious. I didn't Thank bring a, I didn't bring a handkerchief to to just deal with the fact that I'm <laughs> crying laughing over here at the time. So I'm going to try to get through this interview the best way I can. There you go. Well, I, a lot of people cry when they listen to the show. They're just like, why, <laughs> why did he do that joke? Um, so there you go. Give me your .com, sir. So people can find you on the interwebs. <clears throat> uh, they could, uh, find us on, uh, find me on Instagram. I'm on Instagram, uh, champions, uh, underscore bites. They can find me on LinkedIn as well. Uh, Twitter and Facebook. And of course, my website is ednorwood.com. There you go, ednorwood.com. So give us a 30,000 overview of what's inside the book, please. You know, I, I wrote Be a Giant Killer uh, because I believe that every giant we don't defeat grows into the next generation. Mm. And the things that are left unresolved from our past or childhood, the trauma, the shame, the fear, the crazy, the dysfunction uh, can be carried from adulthood and passed to carried into our adulthood and passed to our children or the people that we leave. Mm. And so I use my personal story to illustrate how bad family history, the wrong leadership and shame can be fatal to our dreams and relationship. And I just simply expose giants, things that are related to us, things that silence the little boy and little girl inside of us from speaking, things rooted not just in bad family history, but also patterns and habits that have been passed down, passed down, and passed down to the next generation. Yeah. And, and how to achieve your goals, how to, how to achieve being a giant killer and not be, I suppose, fearless. Or how to be fearless, I suppose. Um, well, so yes, yes, and I kind of, I kind of, you know, for this because I know that you were a former hostage negotiator. Wrong, Chris Foss. Uh, it's the other Chris Foss. I'm uh, the big. Uh, I'm the guy with the big podcast. <laughs> so, 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 I wrote, I wrote down uh, just a few things that deal with the ideal audience. Right when when the mm -hmm. vision of the book took place, uh, people that have failed and need survival tactics. Mm -hmm. People that have big dreams in their future, but mm -hmm. giants in their past or review mirror. Mm -hmm. People that need the inspiration on how to overcome broken relationships uh, and a difficult past. And mm -hmm. I love this one. People that need hostage negotiation skills <laughs> to release the dream in them. And so uh, I'm, I'm excited to, to hear from you on this. There you go. Well, it's, it, it, I think he's got a book out on that. Mind Speakings of Leadership. Pick that up wherever fine books are sold, folks. Um, the, uh, so tell us a little bit about your childhood. You've got an interesting story to tell. I mean, that not a lot of people have experienced. Yeah, you know, I, I actually had an opportunity to write about something that was very personal to mm -hmm. me. Um, you know, I tell people that what books have in common with me and you are words and stories, mm -hmm. um, scary stories, yeah. uh, love stories, mm -hmm. history stories, um, stories of betrayal and deception or redemption. You described my uh, first people, 10 marriages. <laughs> yeah, of, of failed marriages, how people overcame uh, this things with great uh, things they went through in life um, and overcame great odds. And um, I believe that if we're 
bold and courageous enough to open the book cover of our, of our life up that our story mm-hmm. can change lives. So Jonestown was the largest loss of civilian life before 9-11. Yeah. Um, not over 900 people were killed. I was eight years old when it took place. Were you uh, there or were you here in the States or where were you? Yeah, I was um, one of the children that attended People's Temple. My mom traveled uh, for ministry purposes, and my great-grandma, she was the first African-American family that brought uh, individuals into the San Francisco location of People's Temple on Gary. And so I visited the temple. Um, I played with children who were in the temple. Um, My cousins, who were very close to me, seven of them, uh, they were in the temple, and um, it, at the time that it was taking place, you know, I was just enamored with the fact that as a sing- as a as a single child, only child, there there were so many toys and food and community that was there. But there were red flags that I just didn't pick up until years years yeah. later. You're eight, you know. It's eight not like anybody's taught you red. It's not like anybody's taught you red flag. You know what to look for. You're you're just going like I don't know. They told me this is cool. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, there there were. I mean, my mom she began to have uh, prophetic visions that Jim Jones is going to kill our family in a jungle. And really, I remember, yeah, she began to have dreams that they were going to die in a jungle. They told Jim Jones that what her dream was, and so Jones had a habit of putting a hit on people that would speak against the cause. So wow. they put a hit on my mom. She came off the road. She hit us, hit me in a suburb called Daly City. And I just remember over the course of time, seeing my family less. And the next thing I know, of course, on November 18th, this Saturday, 45 years ago, oh, wow. I see 900 bodies near the pavilion in Jonestown. And I begin to see some of my cousin's names scroll up on the screen like a oh, Star Wars movie. Right. And I'll never, I'll never forget it. Yeah. That is extraordinary. And so 27 members of your family were uh, caught up in it. Um, was it Was it mostly your, was it even from your immediate family? Did your mom go down there? Or was it, maybe she didn't my go mom, down there because of the hit mm-hmm. thing? My mom was always uh, against People's Temple. She was never a member. Uh, mm-hmm. She did share with me that um, at one point they were trying to connect her to People's Temple, and Jones may have offered her to become a youth pastor mm-hmm. at this organization, which I don't even call a church, to be honest with you. But she was never a member there. My 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 family, my uncle came home one day and he found his house ransacked wow. and his seven kids taken to Jonestown without passports wow. with his wife gone. He never saw him again. And man, he lived with so, so much regret and so much anger towards God for this so-called church mm-hmm. being responsible for the death of his children. Wow. And, um, but I tell people that Jim Jones did not belong to the church. There's a very interesting passage that the Apostle John wrote, once wrote. He said, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going out showed that none of them 
belong with us at all. And yeah. People's Temple was a cult. Jones was an extreme terrorist, a socialist. He was a communist. Um, so don't confuse. We tell people don't confuse Jonestown with the Church of Jesus Christ. The people who died there, they were deceived and they were tricked. And they thrived, although they thrived in social work and civil rights and were passionate ambassadors, they believed the wrong leader. Yeah. They believed in the false dream. Yeah, false prophet. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, the, for those who are neither memory jogged on Jim Jones uh, and the Jonestown massacre, um, that's where the drinking the Kool-Aid um, yeah. analogy comes from because that's yes. everyone took, uh, uh, drank the poison Kool-Aid and, and died, and that's kind of where you'll hear that cult reference from everyone's drinking the Kool-Aid. Um, 27 of your relatives, I mean, what, how did you process that? You know, it's, it's kind of hard to process at your age, but I, I'm sure over the years, you know, it kind of maybe haunted you and, you know, survivor's guilt maybe or, or you know, I, that could have been you technically if your mom had, you know, bought in and, and taken you guys there. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, first. Let me just say this: I, I absolutely hate the uh, quote "Don't drink the Kool Aid" because no. it's it's the front page story, but not mm -hmm. the back story. Mm -hmm. uh, what many people don't realize, I write this in the book on page two hundred six that um, the top a top uh, pathologist who did the autopsy there. Um, he determined that there were fresh needle marks at the back of the left shoulder blades of 80 to 90 percent of the victims. Oh, really? And others had been shot or strangled. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, one survivor reported that those who resisted were forced by armed guards, and then they found these um, they found these crossbow arrows that were shot in the pavilion side, and they found crossbow marks in the back of people who tried to run. Oh, wow. Just, just think about it. Think about the gruesome discovery yeah. of the bodies. Yeah. They're laid perfectly arm in arm next to each other. I mean, wow. if you and I are in a, in a room, Chris, and we take poison, we're just going to drop dead and fall and all over the place. They won't, there's not this line of bodies of 900 huh. people that are put together. And so we share with people that the backstory of Jonestown is that it was mass murder. Uh, oh, wow. And, and the question is, how did a thousand people get over to Jonestown in the first place? Mm -hmm. Many without passports. And, uh, and, and that's what I really focus on in the actual story. In processing it, to be honest with you, it was, it was real easy to process it. Um, I wrote this uh, in the actual book on page 40, that what happened to my family in 1978 happens to the best of us. We yeah. run from problems. Mm -hmm. We fail. We make mistakes. We stay in comfort zones. We ignore red flags. We cower in shame and guilt. We fear change. We fight bouts of depression. We stay in unhealthy, abusive, familiar, and sometimes destructive relationships out of fear. We die prematurely taking our dreams to the grave and that's what happened to the people of Jonestown. Yeah. Yeah. And so in your book you tell your story and you you try and help people how to overcome the everyday Goliath, how to be a giant killer and 
and how to live your life in a completely different way. Yeah, I, I've had a chance to really, uh, you know, for years, I have lived in a bit of shame mm -hmm. over what took place in Jonestown. Shame in how they died. Mm -hmm. Shame in what they, who they followed. Mm -hmm. And how did you, how did you deal with that? How have you squared that? I had a chance to do an interview yesterday and I started looking at some of the pictures of my cousins and it was a very sobering moment because there were so many red flags that were present uh, processing. How I process it was this, that in order for us to survive the tragic decisions that people have made in our lineage, mm -hmm. to survive the bad family history are the patterns that keep growing to the next generation. We have to know our history. We have to be, have the courage to tell our story or what happened. And we're in a generation where a lot of people in previous generations that raised us, they don't always share their history like that. I went to the doctor recently and they were asking those questions, Chris, you know, in the questionnaire, who had blood pressure, who had, heart disease, who had diabetes? I don't know. I couldn't even answer the, the, the questionnaire. Mm. And it started making me realize that they're asking that question for a reason because there are things in our lineage that have the ability to affect us today because it's in our bloodline. Oh, yeah. And not just health conditions or diseases, mm -hmm. but bad habits, things that hang on our family tree that we really pose as harmless or we state are harmless, but really have an impact today on how we love, how we resolve conflict, how we forgive, how we remain in marriage or uh, how we come out of marriage. Mm -hmm. and, and so really how I processed everything was developing the courage to begin to tell my story. Because as men, we can be we can feel we're bulletproof. We can feel mm -hmm. as if we're insulated from the things that have taken place and we will try to build a business over the pain or outdo the pain in the gym. Uh, but I've learned that the things that we bury in life, we subconsciously carry to other relationships. That's very true. Yeah, that's very true. So um, what are some of the other giant killers or giants that you see in people's lives? What are some giants that people need to look to kill? You know, I identify in the actual book about seven giants and, and mm. one of the, one of the bigger ones. And I deal with things like fear and dissatisfaction, addiction, shame, laziness, procrastination. But one of the big ones that I really address because of the story of Jonestown is family history. Mm. Um, so, so I'm, I'm in, I'm doing memorial services. I'm doing interviews for years. I've been business. I've been blessed with a prosperous business, but I rarely would bring up what happened at Jonestown in those circles because of the shame connected to the story. And mm. I go to this men's conference, Chris, and the facilitator, facilitator at the conference, he challenges us as men to write our story 
and tell our story to our wives. And they say this because her story or your story is her story. She is living the things that you've untold in your life every single day. Mm -hmm. So they challenge us, write your entire story from beginning to the end and tell it to her. <laughs> and then they ask us, write down at least 10 things that you wish you would have heard from people in life. And I'm looking at them, Chris, and nine of the 10 things that I wrote were from my dad. Now, my dad was never mm -hmm. around me, by the way. Never, mm -hmm. never around me. The only, mm -hmm. only recollection I have of him is him telling me he's going to come and buy me a coat in San Francisco when I'm about maybe six or seven. Mm -hmm. So I get ready. Back then, you might remember this. Some other listeners may not. They had bomber jackets with the hood, with the fur. Mm -hmm. I was excited about a mm -hmm. bomber jacket. He picks me up. He takes me to the liquor store two blocks down the street, and he buys me a Coke. I thought oh, so coat. it was a Coke instead of a coat. <laughs> I thought he said coat. He said Coke. Well, you know, they're still great, wonderful gifts, I, I guess. Well, I guess they still bring a smile, right? Coke and a smile. But, but, but that was the only recollection I have of him. Wow. So I'm there, and I'm writing these items down, Fritz. Mm -hmm. And nine of the ten things are from a guy from my dad who was never in my life. Things like, that was a great game, son. Yeah. Did you ever hear like, that from him? I, I never heard these things from him. So I, okay. I begin to write down the things I wish I'd heard from him. Great okay. game, son. I was school today. I'm sorry I wasn't there for you. You matter. What do you want to study in college? And I'm writing these items and... It just amazed me that he had that impact on me. And um, mm -hmm. I asked my mom, I started asking hard questions. Hey, mom, why didn't you and dad work out? And she tells me, yeah, he would make promises to come and pick you up and you'd put your coat on, you'd be ready. And when he wouldn't show up, you would burst in tears. Mm. And I'm sitting there, Chris, I'm 40 years old. And I start crying uncontrollably. Oh, wow. It's as if I was holding. I had placed all of that experience into a box. Mm -hmm. and locked it up yeah and you've been carrying it for 40 years 30 30 40 years yeah and, and, and i begin to think to myself this though i've got three kids if mm -hmm. if his inaction can impact me mm -hmm. and cause me to carry things from childhood into adulthood how much more can my actions to my kids cause them to carry unresolved hurt and trauma from childhood into their adulthood. Wow. Um, I can no longer make excuses such as why well, I did the best that I could. That is powerful, dude. That just hit me like a ton of bricks, man. That is powerful to think about. So now I'm in a place where I'm starting to think, okay, what have I said? <laughs> what have I done? Uh oh, and, and I start excavating unresolved things in their life and saying things like, hey, son, when you were 14 and this happened and I made you confront your coach and your team and embarrassed you, I was prideful. I was angry. I'm so sorry. Will you ever forgive me for that? My daughter ran track and she's running track and it's just her and the other girl. She's right. It's like a photo finish, Chris. Mm -hmm. And she starts slowing down and limping. And, and like an idiot, I'm 
I'm, I'm, on the, I'm on the sideline, push, push, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. And she comes off of that race, she loses, and she's limping back to the car. And I said to her, you were fine, nothing was wrong with you, you could have won the race. I start thinking to myself years later, she may never remember who won that race, but she'll never forget how I made her feel that day. Mm -hmm. What's that and old I, line? People yeah. will always remember how you make them feel. Yeah. And often I, I look back at my life and I see that, man, I was a great encourager. Hey, that was a bad game. We'll pick it up tomorrow. Um, you're going to be great tomorrow. You're going to be awesome. You're going you're gonna to exceed expectations. I was a great encourager with my kids, but I was a poor comforter mm -hmm. with him. And sometimes... Uh, you know, it's 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 not so much recognizing their deeds. You know, I I kind of experienced some of the things you talked about with my father. We didn't always have the great relationship, and I remember the first time I heard him say it. I can remember it at the exact moment. I can see everything around it. Was the first time, and I was I think I was about thirty. I think I was in my thirties or um, twenty twenty eight to thirty two somewhere in there, and he said to me that he was proud of me. First wow. time in my life that he'd ever said he was proud wow. of me, and we'd wow. never gotten along up until then, so he wasn't very proud of me, evidently. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but you know that that was something I needed to hear earlier and more often. And if you're a father listening to this, um, you know the journey that you you went on is really important. You know to to tell our kids, you know, basically what you're trying to say to them is, I, I don't care how well you did in the race. I don't care. If, if you weren't first, I value you. Absolutely. And, and you as a person, like I don't value you based upon, you know, how good your grades are or, or whatever. Yeah. I value you. You are my yeah. son or my daughter. Yeah. And I think more people need to have that conversation. It gets lost somewhere in the, in, in the minutia. So powerful. I, I was talking to a young man who I mentor. He, I coached him in basketball and he was telling me recently that him and my son have struggled with the thing, same thing over the course of years. And that is me and his dad were so hard on them that they often felt they were never enough. Wow. They often felt that, and I'm, I'm sitting here hitting myself because I took, I took my son to a basketball tournament at 17 and I remember in the tournament, just being really hard on him. And afterwards, the, the college coach comes to him and says, hey, I see that your aggression level hasn't risen to your talent level. And after mm -hmm. the practice or after the, the camp, I'm telling him, see, I told you, you've got the talent, but you don't have the aggression. And you've got to do X and you have to do this. And um, years later, maybe about five years ago, I find the video, Chris, of this camp. Oh, wow. And he is bawling. I mean, he is all over the place. And I'm talking to this young man that I mentor, sharing with him. I was so fixated at everything that he wasn't doing. Mm. I wasn't seeing what he was doing. There you go. And, you know, experts say that 80 to 90% of how we observe things in life occurs by the age of five or six. So mm. since five or six, you and me and our children, uh, they, they've just been observing mm -hmm. and watching and watching 
and watching and our history shapes our relationships, mm-hmm. how we respond to people, places, reactions, and things. And so um, I think it's so important to have difficult conversations with loved ones to resolve some of those things that we carry in life. There you go. So you're not carrying it through life. You know, the, the thing that you find, you know, I, I found at 50, I look back on my life and childhood trauma and, and, and thought, yeah, I wish I would have maybe seen a psychiatrist sooner. I probably, yeah. there's people listening to the show right now that are like, he needs to see a psychiatrist. Um, the, <laughs> but uh, uh, you can see the damage that was done from carrying that trauma for all those years um, and, and how it impacted your relationships your life decisions and everything else. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the sooner we can clear all that up, but also, you know, as a parent, as a leader, uh, try and uh, see those things, you know, uh, and communicating the value to people more. I mean, if anything is one epiphany you've given me is uh, all the people in my life, even my friends on Facebook and stuff, maybe I need to communicate to them that I value them more instead of just like, well, you know, I'm glad we're friends. Uh, you know, telling people you value them maybe is a, is a better better language to use maybe i don't know and i think that uh it's powerful what you actually said because in my generation and really in my culture as well mm-hmm. the black people don't go to therapy we don't do that at all oh, really? uh, and, and that's just a big thing on a cultural perspective um I, i'm a big proponent of therapy mm-hmm. uh, some people are in therapy for people that won't go to therapy <laughs> and so so that's over the course <laughs> over the course of the years i've learned some things with it you know mm. my um my dad has never told me happy birthday before wow and you know i uh, he called me a couple of years ago it was my birthday he didn't even know it was my birthday he says, hey <laughs> hey how are you doing and i said oh well it's my birthday and then my family took me out for my birthday and i just got home he said okay well give me a call back doesn't say anything he's quiet as the years go by now I'm, I'm getting irritated. I'm, mm. I'm, listen, I'm, I'm 50 something years old. I've got a beautiful wife, beautiful kids, great business. I'm extremely blessed, but I'm at a place where I need to hear him say happy birthday. So I, 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 I'm, and I'm noticing on Facebook, he sees the people who are saying happy birthday and posting on my page and he says nothing. So I say, Hey dad, can you tell me why you've never wished me happy birthday? Silence, Chris. Crickets. Nothing. So I say, hey, Dad, just want to follow up to that message above. I'm just wondering why you never said happy birthday to me. Crickets. I go see my therapist. My therapist gives me, gives me some words to say. So I come back to him and I say, hey, Dad, can you help me understand why you have a problem celebrating the day I was born? Silence. Crickets. Finally... Um. After another attempt, he finally says, okay, well, let's set some time and talk about it. Let's set an appointment in two months. Huh. <laughs> um, um, I set the appointment. I forgot about it. To his credit, he came back and said, do you still want to meet? But it was in that moment I, I thought to myself that. I'm you probably forgot about it because you're like, this guy's never coming through. So <laughs> well, uh, you probably warranted there. <laughs> and may- maybe he pushed it ahead hoping that I might. I might forget, but, but I think over the course of time, it was hard for a while because earlier I asked him the same question with my mom. Hey, why didn't you and mom work out? I could have used a father at this age and during this time in my life. And he tells me, Chris, I'm not even sure if I'm your father. 
I was floored. He had never said that to me in life. And mm. for a period of time, I didn't even know what to call him after he made that statement to, to him. And so it's, it's odd how the things that we say mm. or we don't say, how they yeah. impact us yeah. or impact the people that we love, that we lead, mm -hmm. that we raise in such a profound way. Now, that's powerful, dude. Did you did you ever um, resolve that? Did you say, hey, well, why don't we go take a paternity test and figure it all out? You're trying to you're trying to put me in therapy, Chris. I see what you're uh, doing. Okay, try to put me in therapy. You said you said the premise, man. I, I'm I'm sitting here in the drama of it, going, I got to finish this ride, man. I got to know the answer. Listen, I'm I'm still working on myself, Chris. Right now, I'm still working on myself. Uh, my wife has continued to talk to me about the importance of sitting down with him, doing a paternity test. And, you know, in my head, I say to myself, I know he's my father. I've got that nose. I, I know for a fact, but she's telling me just deal with it because you don't need to carry that any further. Yeah. Um, and so I'm working on that. I'm going to yeah. schedule some time and go see him in Nevada. He's in Nevada as well. Oh, there you go. And, and, and have a conversation about that because I, I realized this, that I went to a marriage conference years ago and they said something very interesting. They said that our hearts are like black boxes. Mine's pretty black. In an airplane. <laughs> uh, black box. It's that indestructible piece of metal under the pilot seat Yeah. that records the events and it records everything. It records mm -hmm. the good. Welcome to United. We'll have a six-hour flight to the East Coast. We'll serve food in the cabin, put your feet up, and enjoy the flight. Mm. And it observes and it records the bad. Mm. Mayday. Mayday. Smoke in the cockpit. And if this plane, Chris, plunges out of the sky and into the ocean and breaks in pieces, there's mass casualties. The government will send divers beyond all the debris to find this little black box because it is indestructible. And it has the ability to withstand catastrophic disaster mm. and still remember. And that's our heart. There you go. So uh, let me ask you this, because I'd love to hear the, the resolution of this, but um, you know, it sounds like your father has some trepidation or some standoffishness because of uh, he's not sure if he's your father. And maybe the thing to do is go to him and say, hey, dad, you know, tell you what, dad, why don't we figure all this? Let's get all this, let's figure it all out. Let's go take a yeah. paternity test and uh, let's find out. And then maybe we can start either a new journey of father and son or we can end this one. And, and then, you know, you're just going to have to call Mari and figure it out with your mom. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, you're right. Like I said, I'm still working on myself, Chris. I need okay. to, I need to pull myself through it, but, but I agree with you because be a giant killer there. As Ed. long as that's happening, that exists as a giant. That's true. That is, that is, that is in my life that has the mm -hmm. ability to shadow and intimidate or impede my progress in life. And one of the things I want to do in 2024 is just that to mm -hmm. take the paternity test, have a conversation and have the ability to see if 
maybe we can't get back the years, yeah. but, per, per, but perhaps we can create a new normal. Yeah. Perhaps we go. can start having some hard but necessary conversations that will resolve some things that I've kind of carried in my heart for years. Absolutely. Yeah. Plus you get that damn child support. You as your mom. I'm just kidding. I had to get a joke in there. We're being, a, we're being pretty serious, but it's good stuff. Um, let's get a squeeze in here for uh, your uh, business and what you do at uh, ERN Enterprises. Uh, so, uh, let's get some plugs in for this and talk about this because we could probably go all day, and it's just beautiful stuff you shared today. Thank you. Uh, yes, our um, we've been in business for about 24 years now, <clears throat> and we advocate for medically appropriate health care for patients and providers. We challenge HMOs that make negligent utilization decisions mm. or medical necessity decisions to make sure that patients get the care that they need. Mm. So we do that through training, through technology, through representation, and through consulting as well. I've spent the last 24 years inspiring people to tell their story, to help them to understand that buried stories are buried treasure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I. That's what. That's what I. I tell my enemies uh, that are buried in the backyard. <laughs> um, the uh, do you, now? Do you guys do business across the nation? Are you uh, segmented a certain area? Uh, we are. We're nationwide, so we we mm -hmm. have provider members uh, in about thirty something states, mm -hmm. and. Uh, we've just had a chance to impact a lot of great people, a lot of great stories. We do pro bono work mm -hmm. to help patients who can't afford us get care mm -hmm. for themselves. Uh, we've had some success taking um, state agencies to, to a hearing to ensure that patients get life-saving surgeries. And so um, oh, wow. the work is incredibly rewarding. I've got a staff of about 20 people here in Costa Mesa. Wow. who are willing to walk through brick walls on behalf of patients to make sure uh, they get the care they deserve. That is awesome. And Costa Mesa, what a beautiful place too. Is that, um, it, and it, it's, it's, so if you're, if there, if someone has a family member uh, that's being denied, uh, like, you know, maybe they need some special cancer treatment or a special drug or something like that. The, and the, the insurance companies are, are uh, saying, Nope, something like that would be an applicable client for you yeah they can reach out to us we do about two mm -hmm. or three pro, two to sorry three to five pro bono cases per year mm -hmm. so um they they can even qualify for a pro bono the key thing is that they they have to have a denial in hand if mm -hmm. they have a denial in hand uh, we can then challenge it and look to see if there are certain laws that the plan violated when they made that oh. denial wow that's some real attorney stuff there, man. Nailing all the legal language down and things like that. Yeah, we have, uh, I've got an in-house attorney. I've got mm -hmm. several JDs and other individuals who are just passionate for the cause. And um, mm -hmm. uh, we have, uh, we had a young boy years ago who had a, a leg lengthening surgery that was being denied by the state of California and wow. um, two failed leg lengthening surgeries. And we got him care in Florida, uh, do an administrative law judge hearing uh, using a loophole in the law. And so a, oh. a lot of people don't know what their rights are. And we have a team that can find out if they have a denied service that should mm -hmm. have been provided to them. Wow. I'm glad there's this out there. I, I, there was a show I watched years ago on, I think it was a Netflix documentary about how 
the insurance companies are getting with murder be, by, you know, they didn't want to pay for a certain patient's care. And, you know, these people paid for insurance all their life. Sure. They paid in and then, you know, they get cancer and the insurance company won't do a procedure or won't do a, um, I think it was called Healthcare Inc. or something like that. Got it, um, got it. And, um, uh, and, and so these people were dying. And then sometimes they would just delay and delay and delay in courts and, until the people would just die and then they wouldn't have to deal with it at all. And it was, it was pretty disheartening to look, to see. Yeah. And a lot of people don't realize even in medical necessity issues like cancer, um, mm -hmm. often the denials that come in are from reviewers or doctors or medical directors that are not competent to make that decision. In other words, they don't have the education, yeah. the training, or the expertise. So you could have an oncologist who's stating this person needs this chemotherapy, but it's being denied by an anesthesiologist. And so mm. we jump in there and challenge the competency of the medical review if mm. necessary. There you go. I've been uh, I've been trying to get my insurance company uh, to pay for my Botox. Can you help me with that? <laughs> well, that's elective. <laughs> so, Damn it! So, so those are a little harder because that's uh, that's elective, and you're choosing to do that. Uh, but you know, it's funny. I've seen some cosmetic procedures that are medically necessary these uh, days. So uh. you never know. Will they pay for my uh, frontal wait, 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 body? I'll, I'll, I'll just say one. Just, I'm gonna give you one. My first pro bono case. I got to give it to you. Okay. I'm not sure if it's pro bono, but the guy has skin cancer, mm. and they're doing treatment to take some of the skin cancer or the lesions off of his face, and they're covering it. All of a sudden, they denied and they state it's cosmetic. <laughs> and his wife gets involved and says, "I don't know why they're saying it's cosmetic. My husband is ugly." He was ugly when I married oh. him. He's always been ugly. <laughs> this is medically like my first necessary 10 marriages. care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, that's, a, that's a hard thing to take as a husband. What? All this time? <laughs> that's kind of what they, that's the same reason they deny me on the Botox. They're like, you're ugly. Like, you, you can't, there's no help for you. Give up. That's why I have a beard, because I've been trying to hide the ugly. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> And, and, and you got to yeah. you have to find the right doctor for Botox, or you're going to really look bad. So that's true. And, and whatever true. you do, forget about medical necessity. Just find someone that won't make you look like the Joker. You'll be good. There you go. That or I'll just have him take the collagen out of my butt and put it in my face, and then people can call me <laughs> ass face. See what I did there? Yeah, there you go. Uh, so, how can people reach out to you at ERN? See if they're a fit. Uh, contact you, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, they can reach out to us. We have a, a website. It's um, ERNenterprises.com. Mm -hmm. ERNenterprises.com. They can also reach out during uh, on LinkedIn. I'm very active there, and we'll, we'll be able to get them in touch with someone, an advocate that can help them. There you go. So you're uh, helping people, saving the world on that edge, and then you've got your book, Be a Giant Killer, and helping people overcome their everyday glass. And I, I'm interested to see how your story turns out and how you reconcile with your dad. That might be a good second book for you. I, I, I'll, I'll have to come back on that. Yeah, I'll have to come yeah. back and, and talk on that because uh, it's something. Do you want me to call him? I'll like, call him. No, I'm just kidding. I, 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 might need a, I might need someone to, to do that, Chris. We're gonna get us. I'm gonna get your cell phone. I'm we'll gonna like, text you even after I have that conversation. Yeah, we'll get Mari on the line. <laughs> have a good time. 
know. So this is so, so this is going to become like a, a Geraldo show now. Uh, so, <laughs> so so we're gonna we're gonna get him there. And we're gonna have an intervention, and, and yeah. we're gonna just talk about it. I, I see. Yeah, what maybe we should just bring him on the show. Try and work <laughs> it all out here. You might want to bring a psychiatrist because I'm not the person you want to get advice from for anything. Well, you'd be like Oprah. You get a dad. You get a. You dad. get a dad. And, you get oh, a dad. dude, that's a great joke. That was that was awesome, man. You nailed that one. You win the internet today. Um, so there you go. Uh, final pitch out for people to order up the book and contact you, Ed, as we go out. Uh, they can find the book on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. I don't know when this segment will air, but I'm doing the first book reading for Be a mm -hmm. Giant Killer on the 45th anniversary of Jonestown, which is Saturday. I'm going to actually do it for Sunday, that Sunday, okay. um, at Barnes & Noble in Huntington Beach at 1.30 p.m. And I'm, able, I'm unable to do it Saturday because my son plays football at UCLA, and mm -hmm. they're playing USC Saturday. There you go. Well, this is going to be exciting. It should be out in 48 hours, so uh, we, we'll see if we can't make awesome. sure it gets up in time for that. Uh, and then the book will be in the middle for you and all that good stuff. Well, uh, man, you've really touched some people, I think, today and probably brought some tears to people's eyes. And, you know, what a journey you've overcome. And, uh, you know, your story is unlike most that we hear on the thing. I mean, not everyone loses 27 relatives mm -hmm. uh, to a cult. And, uh, you know, your journey and it sounds like you're still on it. You're still, you know, working the magic of being your own giant killer. So thank you very much, Ed, for coming to the show. Really appreciate it. Hey, I've super, I really, really enjoyed just spending time with you. Thank you, Chris, for giving me this time to share with your listeners on this platform. It means so much to me. And it means so much to us too. I mean, you've you've taught us several different things and and shared your journey as well, which is incredible, inspiring. Uh, thanks, my audience, for tuning in. Please order up the book where fine books are sold. Support our authors. Uh, Be a giant killer, overcoming your everyday Goliaths. Uh, from Ed Norwood. Check out some of his activities there. I didn't know it was forty five years from that. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. What yeah. a what an interesting time. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show, Ed. Thanks to our audience for tuning in. Go to goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Foss, LinkedIn.com, Fortress Chris Foss, YouTube.com, Fortress Chris Foss. Subscribe to the LinkedIn newsletter, the 130,000 LinkedIn group over there. Uh, go see us at Chris Foss One, TikTok, and Chris Foss Facebook.com. I need to have somebody read those because I just lose track. Thank you very much, Ed. Take care, my friend. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you. All right. Bye bye. Bye now.